morning if by now since we have read through nine times this particular text of scripture that you might have committed to memory in order the ten laws for life. So if you'd like to test yourself, turn over your announcement sheet and on that place provided for notes number one to ten and see if you can get all ten in order. And uh, by the end of this study, I trust that for each one of us, we will have uh, as part of our very spiritual being these divine provisions of grace. I know they're laws, but they are really God's divine provisions of grace to help us to live to the fullest the life that he has provided for us. And that in the keeping of his commandments, the commandments of God, the Apostle John says, are not grievous. To those who obey, they are joyous. And so I'm sure you've discovered already by obeying the Lord, he blesses us. When we disobey him, we pay severe consequences, but through repentance there's restoration, thank God. And in obedience, there is great promise and great blessing. Now it's our intention and our purpose this morning to provide as much help and encouragement to you as we possibly can. And I feel like that's God's design for this time that we spend together each Sunday morning. God wants to, to help us. I'm not here to impress you with, with my preaching ability. I'm here to present to you God's word, God's truth, and I'm sure that that truth can set us free, that, that truth can help us, can heal us, can strengthen us, can nourish us. And so that's exactly what I want to do this morning. I feel like the Holy Spirit is here to give help to us. And so let's open our heart to receive today the truth that will provide life and liberty through the Lord Jesus Christ. We recognize the source of the difficulty, and we live in a society that is totally saturated with falsehood and with, with a disregard for others' property. It's difficult for the church to be shed of the spirit of this age and to live in a totally different manner than the one that is being demonstrated around us all the time. And it's difficult for us not to become swept up and caught up in the same thing that everybody else is doing. But as the people of God, we are governed by a different set of laws. We recognize that the Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and we claim that it is the only rule of faith and practice. And so those two things go together. It's not just mental doctrine that we're talking about, but it finds its way into our homes and the office where we live and work, that we demonstrate the power of the truth that we hold dear within our heart. We know the source of the difficulty comes from Satan. The Bible says in John 10, the thief cometh but to kill and to steal and to destroy. We recognize that Satan is the great thief. And so from his inspiration, he would try to dissuade us away from this portion of the Word of God. We know from the parable that Jesus taught, the parable of the sower. One of the first things he said, the sower went forth to sow. And as he sowed, immediately the birds came and would catch away the seed. And he went on to explain that that bird represents Satan. 
When the seed is sown immediately, the devil comes to steal that seed away. I'm persuaded this morning, church, that that adversary, that thief is present in our midst. And if you will allow him to, he will come and before even the word can find lodging in your heart, before the seed can ever get into the good soil and begin to germinate and take root and spring up and be fruitful in your life, he would like nothing better than to preoccupy your mind with something else and to cause that seed that's been sown to be swept up before it can ever do you any good. So let's purpose in our heart this morning that we're going to drive the birds away and keep them away from the seed of God's word so that it will find good soil and spring forth unto one hundredfold for the glory of the great husbandman, the Lord Jesus Christ. We live in a world that, that has found a way of life in disregard, disrespect for other people's property. Let me begin and illustrate this with just a short clipping from a newspaper, happens to be the New York Times. Listen to what a journalist has to say, and he lays the blame at the doorstep of the church, and in fact, of the pulpit and the clergy. I quote, the breakdown in character of men is the result of the failure of the churches. The failure to bring the message of the word of God and the righteousness of God is clearly seen by the demonstration of the facts of this report. He goes on to, to, uh, to show that the grand jury announced that one billion dollars had been stolen from the New York City Medicare program. And that testimony by that grand jury revealed medical groups involved in what he called ping-ponging. That means they were sending patients from one practitioner to another practitioner for treatment that was not necessary. And so they were going from one person to another person for treatment that really wasn't absolutely vital or necessary. Private nursing homes were billed for patients that had been dead for over a year. Physicians and therapists were paid for treatment of patients that were no longer in the home and on days when the therapists were not even present in the hospital. Three doctors alone billed the city for over $135,000 in unnecessary x-rays. Druggists sent bills for double the prescriptions they had filled or for more expensive drugs than were actually provided. The list goes on and on and on in the article. But it tells you something you already know. We are living in a society where this has become a professional way of life. Breaking the spirit of this commandment that says, Thou shalt not steal. It's just simply become the spirit of the age. Satan, who is the great thief and deceiver, has had great success in convincing men to have total disregard for the property and the welfare of other people. God has built this in for our welfare and our well-being. There are three responses toward other people and their property. Jesus told us a parable 
as to who our neighbor was. The lawyer said, really, who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, by way of illustration, there was a man on the route between Jerusalem to Jericho, and on route he fell among thieves. They beat him, they stripped him, they left him naked and for dead alongside of the road. And so, first of all, we see the breaking of this commandment strictly and completely in thou shalt not do any robbery. So their philosophy of life was, what's yours is mine, I'm going to take it. If I see what I like, I'll take it. And so this is an overt breaking of the commandment of God. Secondly, there were two other people, religious people, scribes and, and Levites, as they walked by, saw the man laying there, knew the conditions, saw what had happened, took in the information, but walked around the other side and kept on going in the routine of their life. Their philosophy could just be summarized in one sentence. What's mine is mine. I'm going to keep it. What's mine belongs to me. I'll keep it. But the story doesn't end there. There was a Samaritan who came by who illustrates Jesus Christ to us. And all of those who have his nature within them. And he saw the man's condition. He took in the information, knelt down beside him, took out oil and wine, poured into the, the wounds of this man, bound them up, put them on his donkey, bust him to church. There he put him in the inn and said, I'll take care of the bill. If anything more is needed when I come back, I'll pay it. And so the philosophy toward property that Jesus illustrates is, what's mine is mine, but I'll give it to you if you need it. Now, we all fit somewhere into those three philosophies of life this morning. What's yours is mine, and I'll take it if I get half a chance. If I see what I like, I'll just make it mine. There are others who say what's mine is mine, and I'll keep it if you don't mind. There are those who say what, what is mine is mine. I recognize my right to per personal property, but the law of love demands that I follow the example of Jesus, and if you need it, I'll give you whatever it takes to meet the need. You see, the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter, the 28th verse, gives us a real concise picture of what true holiness is. Verse 28, the Bible says, Let him that stole steal no more. You see, there should be a change in our nature when we come to Jesus. Change in our relationship toward other people and their property. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his own hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Doesn't say that he might have in order to get, in order to have more, get all you can, can all you get, sit on the lid. But he says that you might be able to work with your hands to receive that which is good in order that you would have to give to him that needeth. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that God loved us and he gave to us? And I mentioned this morning, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. You can't really care 
without expressing that concern in a practical manner and in giving. 1 Corinthians 13 says you can give without loving. You can give your body to be burned. You can give your goods to the poor and have not love, it profits nothing. So you can give without loving, but you really can't love this world without giving. You can't really love God and not give to Him because it's just a natural outflow of that relationship that you have with the Lord that we might have in order to give to Him that needeth. Romans 12, 17 says, Provide things honest in the sight of all men. That's a scripture that challenges us as this morning we talk about respect for other people's property. Thou shalt not steal. You see, when we take what doesn't belong to us, that doesn't make us a thief. We are not a thief because we have stolen something. We steal something because we're a thief. It's already a part of our nature and character waiting for an opportunity to manifest itself. When the lights went out in New York City and there was a blackout, what happened? People who had opportunity now, the true nature came out. It wasn't that now they became a thief because they stole. They stole because they were a thief. And so it's a basic problem that's a heart problem. Out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, thieving, and so forth. It comes out of a heart condition, a heart problem. It's not just an activity situation that uh, makes us a thief. We steal because we're a thief, basically. Remember what Judas said when Mary came in and broke the alabaster box of ointment and anointed the body of Jesus and the, the fragrance and perfume filled all the room where they were and Judas got upset and said, what a terrible waste. Why wasn't this sold for 300 pennies worth of silver and given to the poor? But the comment comes right after that. He did not say that because he cared for the poor, but because he held the bag and he was a thief. Now that was before he sold Jesus or before he did anything else. He was already a thief. There was a heart condition that existed already within. So there is a, a basic problem, spiritual problem, that needs to be cared for at the cross. Glad for the power of the blood. Amen? Glad for the power of the blood that can take a poor lost sinner, lift him from the mighty clay, and set him free. And there is that liberty that is in Jesus Christ. There's a problem known as kleptomania. There's a psychological, emotional problem that exists within some people that, that drives them. They are controlled by it. It's not something that they, they will or choose, but there's something, a driving force. If they see something, even though they don't want it or need it, can't resist picking it up and taking it away. If you're here and that has been a plague in your life, I've got good news for you this morning. Jesus Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He can break every chain and give us victory and I trust that that will happen to you if there's a problem that you've wrestled with and have struggled with guilt over there's a God who is here this morning in this place
He would never, ever command us to do something and not give us the ability to do it. God is not a sadist. You see, with every command of God comes the ability to accomplish that commandment. God would never command us to do something. You say, Pastor, nobody could keep the Ten Commandments. Oh, yes, we can. With His grace, with His help, with His enablement, He would never, ever command us to do something we couldn't do. But with every command comes the unwritten law of divine enablement behind it to help us to do what he's asked us to do. Hallelujah. And he will. If you've got a problem in this area, be assured of one thing this morning. There is one who is able to work that out in your life and to give you total and absolute victory over this problem. Three headings quickly that I want you to consider with me. First of all, stealing from others. Secondly, stealing from God. Thirdly, stealing from yourself. Stealing from others, from God, and from yourself. Mostly we relate to this in terms of someone holding up a bank, someone walking in with a gun and demanding uh, whatever monies they could have very quickly. And this does happen. And uh, sometimes they're apprehended, sometimes they're not. But I want you to know something. There has never been the perfect crime. That there's always been a candid camera taking your picture. God always knows what takes place. And whether the law ever catches up to us or not, while we're here, the law in four words that we've read as a text this morning will stand in witness against us, if that would be the case. I told in the early service of a gentleman who came into the bank and slipped a note to the teller which read, please put all the money in a bag. This is a stick-up. As she saw what was taking place, she hit the button, turned the note over, and said, please smile and straighten your tie. Your picture's being taken. <laughs> and we need to know that. Our picture is always being taken. And there isn't anything that escapes the eye of him with whom we have to do. It's all open in response to him. But there, there's a little less known breaking of the spirit of this Eighth Commandment, which is called fraud. It's a little more sophisticated than someone taking a gun and holding someone up. But to defraud someone or beat someone else out of something that really belongs to him is just as much a breaking of this commandment as someone who takes a gun and holds it to someone to, to rob him of his valuable. Fraud. To take by deception or by force that which doesn't belong to us. You see, there are really only three ways to acquire property. Three basic ways to acquire property. One is to work for them. Wages, and you've earned what you receive. Secondly, by way of a gift, someone else has something and they want you to have it, and so they choose to give it to you. That's the second way. The third way is to steal it. So whatever we ever acquire in life, it will come by one of those three routes. It will come by honest wages of what you've earned. It will come by way of a gift that someone gives you, or you will steal it. 
So we need to, to look at personal property in the light of those three areas of, of life. Important for us not to be influenced by the spirit of this age. Not to be influenced by the fact that everybody else is doing it. And it's an acceptable practice. Well, Pastor, everybody else does it. You know, you can't get along in the business world without doing this. This is just survival, Pastor. I couldn't do it. I couldn't survive if I didn't do it this way. I'll tell you what. It'd be better if you didn't survive and obey the word. There's some things worse than death. And that would be displeasing God. Who are we going to please? That's the question we have to ask. Right is still right if nobody does it. Wrong is still wrong if everybody's doing it. We don't match our lifestyle by the prevailing spirit of the age. We match our lifestyle by this book. And we try our very best to say, God, help me to measure my life and to order my life according to your word. Not what is acceptable practice. Not what's, what's the prevailing spirit of the age, but what does God say to me and will I please him by what I do? Fraud means I take by deception something that does not belong to me. Colossians 3.22 says, Servants, obey your masters in all things. Not with eye service like men, as men pleasers, but with all of your heart as unto the Lord. If you're working for an employer, he deserves eight hours of work for eight hours pay. And six hours work for eight hours pay makes us a thief. That's fraud. Seven hours work for eight hours pay makes us a thief. Amen. So we need to provide things so we need to provide things honest in the sight of all men. And as unto the Lord, because really you're not serving that boss, you're serving this boss. And as unto the Lord, well pleasing in the sight of all men and in the sight of the Lord Jesus Christ as well. Now turn with me to James chapter 5. This is not a verse that you would notice very readily, but it gives us the other side of the coin. God cares about both management and labor, and he gives us clear instructions as it relates to personal property. James 5, 4 says this, Behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth that the voice of them that have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. What's God saying here? Employers, you have a responsibility before God to those who have reaped down your fields and you've kept back wages that belong to them rightfully by fraud. The voice of their crying ascends into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. 
So there is a great biblical responsibility, not just to employees to fulfill their obligations and responsibility to their employer, but it says from the Word of God in relationship to personal property, employees, if someone has reaped down your field, you have no right to withhold what is rightfully theirs. They need to be paid what they've earned. And if not, you'll give an account before the Lord because the cry of their spirit ascends into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. And so there is a biblical principle that issues forth from this text. And we need to know God cares about our response and relationship to personal property that belongs to other people. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus addresses some very pious, very religious people. They knew how to dress. They had the right ecclesiastical garb on. He said they, they make great prayers and long prayers. But he says they devour widows' houses. They shall receive the greatest damnation. That's what Jesus says. Do you care what Jesus says? Is it important to you what Jesus says? He said, under the pretense of religion, in the ministry, clergymen, have the right ecclesiastical garb. Oh, they know how to pray. But if we don't relate properly to people in their personal property, they shall receive the greatest damnation. Words of Jesus. He cares about how we relate to other people and their personal property. A wife who had lost her husband and he had left her some money to survive on. And these very people who God had placed to be guides and helps had devoured that which had been left to her and God says they shall receive the greatest of damnation. Fraud, robbery, are you ready for this? Gambling. You see, I believe I'm against the liquor traffic even if the state runs it. And I'm against gambling even if the state runs it. I think it's thievery. I think it breaks the Eighth Commandment that says, Thou shalt not steal. And if you're playing the lottery, or the numbers, or whatever gambling, you're breaking this commandment. And you see, I cannot avoid the truth of God's Word because the truth sets us free. You say, oh, pastor, how can that be? You see, no one can win at gambling without somebody else losing. And you're really trying to make what belongs to somebody else yours without working for it or without them willingly giving it to you. And there's only three ways to get, get property. Working for it or by way of a gift or steal it. So if you win it, you've stolen it doesn't belong to you. And uh, nobody really can win. You profit and receive pleasure at somebody else's expense, pain, and loss. You're trying to gain control of what belongs to someone else without working for it or without earning it. It comes out of a spirit of greed. And so that makes it wrong. It is morally 
wrong. It breaks the spirit of the eighth commandment. If you win, you're a thief. If you lose, you're a fool. Can't win either way. I think gambling is a sin. Have you seen the Norman Rockwell painting of the butcher shop? How many have seen that one with the lady? The butcher has a pound of meat and he's smiling, looking up toward the heavens with his thumb on, on top of the, the scale. And the little woman on the other side of the counter, she's smiling, looking up the other side with her finger underneath the scale. And she's pushing up. Both of them, you see, that's gambling. Both of them thinking they were going to gain something from the other person without working for it. And so there's, there's really little difference. You see, if someone walks into the alley and puts a gun into your ribs and says, give me what you have, we classify that as, as thievery, as robbery. But if two people willingly gamble, both of them have the same spirit of thievery. In the, in the one case, one has a spirit of thievery. In the other case, both have. And they want to make what belongs to the other person theirs. Gambling breaks this commandment of God as well. Thou shalt not steal. Unpaid bills, Romans 13, 8, owe no man anything but to love one another. That doesn't mean we're not allowed to have time payments, but when the time for the payment comes, the payment ought to go. If it doesn't, if we refuse to pay, then we owe him that. If the payments are paid up to date, we don't owe him anything. We've paid what we have agreed to pay. But... Uh, not to pay what belongs is also a problem. You know, we can steal from God. Not only steal from other people, but we would steal from God. I mentioned in the first service, I would rather be almost anything else on earth than someone known as one who robs God. We've had our church broken into several times. They took our 16-channel mixer. They took our monitor speakers. They took all of our microphones. And they were inside the church, evidently stayed for the service. After we locked up, they had hid somewhere, took what they wanted, and broke out. And this don't happen just once. It happened several times. So we've established a burglar alarm system and some other security precautions and so forth so it doesn't happen to us again. And... Uh, of all days for it to happen, Christmas Day, Christmas Day, and you know, uh, how could it be that someone would, would be so motivated to walk into a house of God and take what belongs to the Lord and on his birthday to boot? But you know, I would wager to say there may be some who are sitting here who would never think of lifting a microphone or taking any of the PA system that are just as guilty as rob of robbing God, taking what belongs to the Lord. I would rather be known as almost anything else than to be known for robbing God. Turn to 1 Corinthians 6.19 with me. These are familiar words, not new. But something the Holy Spirit wants to remind us of this morning. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20.
He says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Say, oh, my life's my own. My body's mine. I can do what I please. No, you've been bought with a price. You've been purchased by blood. You're his property. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It's not up to you and I just to to take this life and this body and use it and abuse it whatever way we, we choose to. We rob God if we do not present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. Why is that? Because we belong to him. We're God's. We're his property. And so we are simply in consecration and in, in sanctification simply giving to God what's his already. And to, to live our life self-willed and rebellious is to rob God of what has been his by creation and his by redemption has been purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and we are God's. I think the best way for us to keep perspective as to our relationship to personal property is through tithing because we need to be reminded of the fact that none of this belongs to us, it all belongs to him. And that we are simply good stewards or bad stewards of what he has placed in our custody. And tithing is just a recognition of stewardship. Tithing is not God's way of raising funds. Offerings are not God's way of raising funds. It has taken a beating as, as of late. But it is, a, it is a recognition of every one of us that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. And you're saying, God, I recognize the principle of stewardship and of ownership. It's yours. And I give to you out of recognition of who you are and that you own it all. And I'll have to give an account of it all. Right? And that tenth, oh, pastor, that's just law stuff. No, Abraham recognized that principle 400 years before Moses came along. Jacob continued that before Moses came along. Moses continued that. Jesus commended that. And it's still a good principle for us to follow today. To honor the Lord in our tithes and our offerings. There is that portion that belongs to him. We can steal from ourselves. Jeremiah 5.25. Turn there with me. You might want to make a note of this. And mark this scripture because I think it carries a very important principle to us. Jeremiah chapter 5 verse 25. prophet of God says your iniquities have turned away these things and your sins have withholden good things from you think of that consider that thought a minute your sins have withholden 
good things from you. We're the loser. We cheat ourselves. We rob ourselves of good things that God intends us to have. Your sin withholds, has withholden good things from you. You know, I think we're tested on this point continually. I think we're tested on this point. I stopped for gas the other day at a station and uh, I overheard <coughs> the one gentleman saying uh, he was training a new man and this was his first day on the job and I could sense he was a little nervous and he, he filled my tank and it took about $24 worth of, of gasoline and I gave him two twenties and when he, he took them he looked at the, the meter he looked at the money and I could tell he was up he was excited and he counted me back about $15 too much and I looked at that and I, and I looked at him and, and he was still kind of thinking in his mind but he thought he had it straight he put was putting his money away walking back into the station and I said, hey, wait a minute, come back here. I think you gave me too much money. He looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, it was $24. I gave you two $20 bills, and we counted it back out. He said, oh, yeah, you're right. And uh, with a big sigh of relief, he put that, those $15 back into his, his collection and back into the, into the shop. I could have very well drove home you see, he would have become the victim, I would become the thief. He would have lost 15 bucks. I would have lost integrity, peace with God. My wife came home the other day from, from shopping and same thing, same type of thing. And she recognized that there were several items that, that the grocer had not seen underneath. It didn't amount to much, 50-some cents, I think. She had already had it in the bag and was mo had moved away from the counter. And when she saw what had happened, the lady had already started with the next customer. The bagger was already starting to bag the next customer. And so she had to stand and wait and she said you know there's things I, I have here I haven't paid the bagger and the checker both got very annoyed they looked at her like she had lost her last few marbles <laughs> but she stayed and waited till that person had checked out all of her groceries and re-entered the 50 some cents because you see it's not worth becoming a thief for 50 cents and I think we are tested on this area constantly because you see there is this principle that is involved here it's not that the amount of money it's the principle of the thing that we want you to feel and sense in this service this morning Spurgeon was robbed one time and he said after the incident he said I really praise the Lord and someone said how can you praise the Lord you've just had all of your money taken away from you he said first of all I just praise the Lord it was money that can be replaced and I praise the Lord that I was the one that was robbed and not the one who did the robbing 
He said, if I had my druthers, I'd choose to be robbed rather than become a thief. That's something to think about. There's a principle here whereby we rob ourselves for such a little bit that you might get back on your income tax. It's not worth it, friend. It's not worth it. For that little bit more that you get back from the government, it's not worth it. See, you get money, but you lose something much more valuable than the money. That's your integrity, and that's the blessing of God. Let me read it again to you. He says, your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sins have withholden the good things from you. All the other sins we've talked about can be settled by repentance. Something else is involved here. There must be repentance and restitution. Repentance and restitution. It's a dimension of truth that you don't hear much about anymore today. But I think if we're interested in the blessing of God, we'll look into the Word. We'll go by the principles and precepts that are outlined there for us. You see, it's not that God doesn't forgive us, but once we're forgiven, we'll make it right. It's not right if I, if I have defrauded or taken a thousand dollars from my brother David, and I come to the altar and I say, God, please forgive me, I'm sorry. For, for taking his money, please forgive me. And I walk up, walk away, and everything's cool. No, everything's not cool. Between me and the Lord, things are cool. Between me and David, things aren't cool yet. Because I need to make restitution of what I have defrauded my brother. I cannot enjoy that $1,000. I can't go out and, and, and buy some tires from my car and a, and a color television set and take the money that I have used and defrauded from him, and I've sort of repented, everything's square with God, but I need, like Zacchaeus, when Jesus said to that little politician, come down from the tree, you and I are going home together today, for salvation is going to come to your house today, and when salvation came to that man's house, he said, if I have defrauded any man, I will return it to him fourfold. You see, there's something more involved in thou shalt not steal than just repentance. Surely God will forgive all of our sins. He'll wash it away. But in these areas, we also need to make it right with our brother, if at all possible. With interest. And if you're back on your tithes, it'll cost you 20% interest. You read the Old Testament. If you, wanted to, if you wanted to take that which was tithed and use it, you could do that. But it would cost you a fifth more. There was 20% interest. So I don't know how far in the hole you are. <laughs> but let me ask you this. How interested in the blessing of God are you? You don't have to change your lifestyle at all as a result of this message this morning. You can go on living just the way you've lived. But I tell you what, it'll be worth the change if it opens out the windows of heaven. God has good things for us. Father, I pray that you'll help us today.